Hello. Um, this is the uh, Brown Sports Convos podcast. Uh, I'm Ethan Jobson, and with me are Alex Lang, McCarver, and TJ Kim. What's up? Going. So as you can tell, we're a bit short-staffed and a bit. Uh, this is. I'm not. I'm not used to hosting this, but we're pushing on and wanted to talk a little about some of the things coming up this week in sports, namely uh, the NFL draft. That should be very interesting. And we wanted to touch on the uh, last dance documentary about the 98 Bulls that is premiering tonight. So um, turn it over to everyone else. What do we think about uh, any hot takes that come to mind right now? I mean, I think the biggest question on everyone's mind is just like how it's going to work logistically and how the coronavirus situation has and is going to continue to affect, you know, scouting and things like that. Um, obviously, the draft is always a bit of a crapshoot, but now that uh, GMs and coaches and uh, trainers and medical staff haven't been able to be face to face with a lot of these guys, there are going to be a lot of answers um, unquestioned or un- unanswered questions, sorry, that, um, GMs and decision makers aren't used to having unanswered. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that affects their decision making. If it makes them more likely to pick up sure prospects than, you know, um, potential talent and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think it'll be interesting just to see how it works logistically and, and how it affects decision making. Yeah. It's, um, so if anyone doesn't know, as far as I uh, have been aware, I might, this is just me uh, extrapolating what I've heard. So I might be a bit wrong on this, but I believe this is basically going to work like the GMs are basically working from their home, wherever that may be, and their Wi-Fi, wherever that may be. And that's how they're like communicating picks and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like basically what we're doing now through Zoom, which is kind of nuts. I, I, You'd think that the NFL would be able to come up with a bit of a better system. Like it, it'd be really weird to see like, technical issues affect somewhat something about the draft or anything. And I think this is definitely going to affect how uh, uh, the GMs approach the draft. You might see deferring to safety more than like trying to pull off like last minute trades, but that's just a thought. We have to see how it goes. So let's, let's talk about a couple of picks that we see happening early on. I think everyone feels pretty comfortable about the first three picks you know, Joe Burrow going to the Bengals, Chase Young going to Washington. Um, actually, that third pick, I think <laughs> there are some questions that come in. Let's talk about those first two quicks real, real quick. TJ, how, how do you feel about Chase Young? Um, you know, no, number one prospect in the draft going going to Washington and Ron Rivera. Chase Young, I think he's, you know, obviously probably the best player overall in the draft. Um, I think the Bengals didn't need a quarterback so badly, and they might consider taking him. Um, yeah, I think he's the obvious choice for them. I don't think um, they should be temp- – I mean, with the and the way their management is, you never know. But I don't think they should be tempted at all to, you know, draft a quarterback or something like or something of that nature. I think they should just take Chase Young, the best player available, and continue on. And also don't see them trading down. I think they're just going to want to have a really nice player and continue going. They're still developing, you know, Haskins and – um, you know, I've got Case Keenum. I think the quarterback situation is, you know, not the greatest, but I think it's fine. So, yeah, that's what I see them do. 
Yeah, Chase Young definitely has the potential to, you know, impact a franchise like that long term to be there for six, seven, eight years and really solidify a defensive line there. So I think that's definitely a big, a good pickup. And I, you know, as far as the number one pick, I don't even think we really have to talk about that. You know, it's the Ohio kid, the Heisman winner, you know, greatest college season of all time. He, he's got to go to the Bengals. You can't not take the man. Um, yeah, I think that's a no brainer. And I, I can't even get mad at that because Joe Burrow just, they're always the, obviously there's not a, not a perfect prospect. He wasn't really that great until this past year, but I mean, mm-hmm. this year he was unbelievable, really. And I think that you could also say the Bengals, I think, would be a team that, like, they have enough, like, needs and they're a cheap enough team, to be quite frank, that, like, you could make a case for trading down for a lot of prospects. But, like, specific circumstances of Joe Burrow, it's hard to uh, pass on. But speaking of quarterbacks, I think there is one person who – more than any player is hanging over uh, this top half of the draft, and that's uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Um, as we know, he has had a tremendous career. He uh, as was on a top program and came in on the biggest stage of the national championship and showed what he can do. He's had a lot of concerns, too, with health, and I think that makes him like probably the biggest wild card of the draft. There has been talk about him going – all kinds of places. He's probably the biggest uh, unknown with these mocks. So what does everyone think about how that's going to turn out? You know, I, I, I think your analysis is pretty spot on. I, I think that the COVID situation might affect him more than any others because of the health issues that he's had. And people haven't had a chance to get their medical staff in really and, and take a look at it for themselves. Um, also, the fact that he comes from Alabama, and while Alabama is a top-notch program, they don't produce a lot of top-notch quarterbacks. So I think that could uh, could work against him. Um, and and the fact that he's, I mean, the man can throw, obviously, um, but I think some of the stigma and like issues that were surrounding Lamar Jackson coming into the draft might end up affecting Tua, and that could lead to him dropping as well. But the fact remains that Miami needs a quarterback and LA needs a quarterback and only one of them is going to be able to take Justin Herbert. So it makes sense to me that he would um, easily, easily end up being the pick there for one of those guys. But, you know, the reasons that you just talked about, the reasons I just laid out, it is possible that he does uh, fall down, fall down the draft and there might not be someone who's willing to take that chance on him. Yeah, I'd say that I have this mindset that while I personally like, if I were a GM with a quarter, a team with a quarterback need, I kind of might shy away from Tua because I think those injury concerns are very real. Uh, I do think that the specific circumstances of like Miami and the Chargers, especially Miami, I think they're n- probably not going to be bad enough to be able to get Lawrence uh, next year. And I think that it kind of makes sense where Miami, especially specifically, is as a franchise just uh, take the risk on Tua. Um, I I do think that that's just from my perspective what's best. There's what I think is going to happen. There have been so many just like weird falls over the years and just like weird stuff with the draft that I would not say with confidence that anything's going to happen. I, I like I, I could see Tua going any, like almost anywhere in the first round beyond like the first 
two picks, honestly. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, both Miami and the Chargers are in the same, are in somewhat similar situations in that they have a pretty, they have a pretty decent team. Just they both need a quarterback pretty badly right now. Although I guess you could say the Chargers are in a slightly better position. They have Tyrod Taylor, who's, you know, he's, he's no slouch. He's, he can get the job done. Um, I would say Miami's in much more desperate need of a quarterback. So um, I, I, you know, I, I predict that they will take Tua or they will take um, Justin Herbert. And in fact, I think that they might go for Tua because Tua seems more like a kind of, um, you know, kind of boomer bust kind of guy. And I think they're, they really want to win this season. They want to be good right now, especially with you know, the Patriots probably taking a season, like, you know, at least one down, down season and having the AFC East more open for them. Um, I think they don't want to have to, they don't, they don't want to be in the business of waiting and trying to develop a player and things like that. They want to try and get someone who can play right away. And I think two was more of that kind of guy than Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert's a better long-term pick, but I think two was a better short-term pick. I think that's why. Yeah, I had the exact same mindset. AFC East should be really interesting this year. But there's even talk of, uh, the Patriots maybe take a quarterback in the first round, you know, like a Jordan Love type. We don't know that though. Um, yeah, I mean, as as usual, the Patriots are pretty pretty tight. They're not talking a lot about what they're planning on doing. You know, as of right now, they're acting as if you know Jared Stidham is who the guy they're going to go with. Um, you know, we don't really know what they're planning on doing. There's a lot of different needs besides quarterback. Tight end is a big one. And so we'll see. Uh, Jared Stidham was like, all right, in preseason, he didn't get much play time in the regular season. He threw, I think, four passes, and one of them was a uh, pick six. So, you know, not the greatest stat line so far, but if, you know, the people, the good people on the coaching staff, the Patriots, um, believe in him, then I guess he's probably pretty good. And also, you never know with these guys. Like Belichick, they love to look deep into the future. They could be looking to, you know, a couple years ahead if they really want to draft a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah, always that. True. I, I still – I think the whole uh, Patriots tank for two or tank for Trevor thing is like an underrated possibility. Uh, that'd be, that'd be fun to see. Um, but I, I don't know if they would actually tank for it, but I could see them like maybe trading back this year, uh, you know, gathering up draft uh, draft ammunition and then trying to make a move next year for him moving up the draft. Um, yeah. but then I could also see them. Yeah. Taking, taking a guy like Jordan love or, um, Jalen hurts. I think Jalen hurts is kind of underrated in this draft class. Um, for what he's done in Oklahoma. Well, I think the thing about any great quote unquote drafting organization is that they don't, it's not a matter of just, you know, selecting talent. It's a matter of having really great development, developmental coaches. And cause, uh, no matter how good of a player you draft, they're going to need coaching. They're going to need to get better. And so in any sport, really, the best kind of talent acquisition people are also people who have the best, you know, trainers and the best coaches. And I think the Patriots have that. And, you know, and a lot of other sort of really great teams kind of have that. Like the Seahawks kind of have done that as well. Um, avoiding a really long-term de- uh, decline in their, their, their level. Let's, let's talk real quick about what we think our teams are going to do. Because, um, you know, we're, we're all fans of different teams. And that's, that's really why we're here is to talk about sports and we won't talk about our teams. So I will say real quick, the Denver Broncos have been mostly mocked drafting wide receivers, uh, like a Henry Ruggs or a Jerry Judy, something like that. Um, as much as I think, you know, we probably, we do need a second receiver. I don't see Elway taking a receiver in the first round. Um, 
he doesn't really value his receivers. He doesn't really value his linebackers. So I would much rather see them take a cornerback like Trayvon Diggs or move up and take, you know, one of the top four tackles or, you know, stay with there, take, like I said, Trevon Diggs, AJ Terrell, someone like that. Um, but I could definitely see, I, I just don't see LA taking a receiver. That's, that's the last thing I would ever expect, despite what all the draft picks are saying, despite what all the, the talking heads are saying. I, I don't see the Broncos behaving in that way. Um, but what about you guys, Ethan? How do you how do you feel the Jets are going to go? I I'm unsure because remember we have a new GM. This is his first time drafting, so it's hard to predict what he values. And of course, I don't know if Adam Gase is going to factor into that process. But interestingly enough, I think the Jets have a lot of the same needs as the uh, Broncos. Corner and wide receiver are definitely a needs. I think. Offensive line definitely factors in with the Jets as well. I've seen a lot of um, uh, what like wide receiver like C.D. Lamb or like the most common I've seen lately. I've been obsessing over mocks since there's not really a lot else to do with sports right now. Uh, seen a lot of C.D. Lamb or Mackay Becton, but it's usually whoever is like the third best uh, tackle in their minds who hasn't been taken that goes to the Jets. But that's the most common one. I, I, the one thing that makes me lean towards lamb as what will happen, I think is more that we let Robbie Anderson leave, whereas we improved our offensive line, like considerably in free agency. And I know, I think CD lamb has said that he's met with uh, the Jets about that. Um, and, but I could, it's really hard to predict with um, the, with the new GM. So it's kind of, you're kind of in hope mode right there. Um, TJ, what do you think uh, of the Patriots are going to go for? I feel like they might be the biggest wild card of all these teams. Yeah, I mean, who really knows with the Patriots? Like I was saying, you know, uh, Belichick can go anywhere. I don't think he, he's, he has any, like, real kind of preference. He just kind of drafts for the team. You know, I personally, you know, I think it'd be interesting if they take a quarterback. You know, I, re- I really, really want them to get Justin Herbert. I don't think they will. I, don't th- I think they'll be gone by the time it's their pick unless they trade up. But that's, like, my ideal candidate for them. Um, who do I think they'll actually get? You know, if another quarterback against Hurts would be a good choice. And then beyond that, you know, we need, there's needs a tight end. There's you – know, even, even receivers kind of is, is kind of a need right now. So maybe they'll take one of the various – whoever's left on the board. Yeah, it's um, but, for uh, receivers and – lineman i'd say yeah you know um i think the lot the offensive line i think is all right we there is some pretty big players on defense that were lost as well you know van noy and um collins so maybe linebacker um we'll go they'll go there but i you know i think probably i think what will probably happen is they'll draft a receiver but i would like them to take quarterback because that'd be interesting <laughs> yeah what it sounds like to me is it's really up in the air with the Patriots. Um, Speaking of, um, I was, I don't know about you guys, but as I said, I've been looking at a lot of mocks and I feel like this happens every year, but I always feel like there is some thing, like some like uh, consensus that I find very weird or some like kind of trend in mocks that I always can never wrap my head around. Is there anything that you guys have seen that you feel is like very, you would feel very uh, strongly about if it ended up happening or you just don't understand with the whole uh, draft landscape. I, 
I, I have for a long time now been an advocate of not taking skill players high in the draft. And I feel like we're going to see like four or five receivers go in the top 20. And um, cause I feel like it's that kind of year. And I personally wouldn't like to see that just cause I, I don't think that's the best way to build a team, you know, investing in receivers in the top, unless you know, you're getting like a Julio Jones or a Deandre Hopkins. I just think it's not a great pick, especially if you look at the track record of, you know, number one wide receivers or first round wide receivers over the past few years, you have so many busts and so few guys who've actually panned out from that area of the draft. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of guys, a lot of wide receivers go early and I think it's going to leave a lot of talent falling down the board for the teams who finish with better records this year. Um, and it's going to keep those bad teams drafting high and keep the good time, keep the good teams drafting low. Um, but then it's also a possibility just like the, my ideal scenario, like the flip side of it for me is that knowing how deep this class is, I wonder if there will be a lot of teams who need a receiver who are willing to say, you know what, we're going to pass up in the first round and take a look into the second round. Because, you know, there are like six or seven top-notch guys, but there are also guys underneath that level, you know, the next level down who, are, who will probably be able to come in and be solid contributors. So um, I, I think, well, I think we will see a lot of guys go early. I think we're also going to see a couple of first-round talents that slip down to the second, slip down to the middle of the second. Um, That's you know, interesting to me that yeah. you say that because I kind of had the opposite take in that I – uh, I mentioned uh, like these, these receivers. I mentioned like CD Lamb as a possibility for the Jets at eleven. Um, I and I've seen a lot of mocks that go the different way of saying that like who, the Jets take like the third tackle off the board, or but like was a really like made blown my mind. I feel is like I've seen like CJ Henderson, who I I like as a prospect go at like nine to the Jags. I don't think I've seen a single uh, mock that's shown a receiver above 11. And I think that, yes, generally uh, receivers might have um, a tough, uh, tough uh, track record with going high up in the draft. But I think guys like CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, uh, I think have shown something very special. I'm really shocked that like no one has shown them uh, going before 11 really like even like the most random mocks ever that have like absolutely ridiculous uh it, in my mind ridiculous uh picks not to say cj henderson at nine isn't that bad but like I, I i just feel that there are a lot of guys who are a lot less polished at their positions that i see uh being mocked higher than guys like cd lamb or jerry judy and i'm kind of surprised at that yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I do think the run is going to happen, you know, somewhere between like 10 and 20. I think that's where we'll see like four or five receivers go um, because a lot of those teams up top are, are going to take like the top defensive prospects, you know, Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, or they're going to be taking a tackle like the Giants um, or they're going to be taking their quarterbacks like the, the Dolphins and the Chargers. Um, I think the only top 10 team that would have been a candidate for taking a receiver is probably the Arizona Cardinals. But after they trade for DeAndre Hopkins, I don't see them taking taking a receiver with their top pick. Maybe the Jaguars, um, but you know, CJ Henderson, CJ Henderson at nine to the Jaguars does seem like like a good pick there too. 
Um, so I, I, I think you're right. I think it is going to come like in the middle of the draft, but I think it's still going to be like top 20, top 25. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I, I think Jags are the one I'm surprised that I've like never, like, obviously I probably have missed some mocks. So like you could probably find someone that said that, but like, I, I don't think I've seen a single uh, mock uh, give the Jags um Lamb or Judy, which I just, I, I don't know. It's considering they have a young quarterback in Minshew or whoever, maybe they end up drafting someone young to compete with him. It seems like having that, uh, a receiver like that would be a great help for their franchise, but that, that's just me. TJ, any, you have any of your own thoughts? Um, I think, I mean, I agree. I think that Judy and Lamb are, are, you know, are truly, you know, unique talents that don't come around very often to the receiver position. I think it's one hand, like a matter of, of need, I think, for a lot of these, these teams, they, they have greater needs in that receiver. You know, and I, I think also for many teams kind of, um, uh, a rece- it's, it's harder for a receiver to make an immediate impact than a defensive player sometimes. Because receivers need to fit in, you know, they need to fit into your, your passing scheme and the quarterback needs to get used to them. And also, you know, quarterback play also for a lot of, yeah. a lot of these teams is a concern. Um, you know, and, and, it, and they may be wanting more to help the quarterback by getting a good defense on the field and sort of minimizing, you know, opposing points and just giving them some really nice wide receiver. Because that, that doesn't always turn out well. It's like if we've seen it on occasion. You know, like the... the like you know, we had DeAndre Hopkins in the pre-Deshaun Watson days in Houston. Like it was, it was, you know, he he did well. He was still a elite receiver, but the, the, for the team, it was not as it was not as great. Um, so yeah, Ethan, I think you brought up a really interesting point about the Jaguars. Um, and I think the fact that they're more likely, I think we, I think we all feel they're more likely to go defense rather than take a receiver, probably speaks to the level of confidence that they have in. Uh, Gardner Minshew you know I know they said they're going with him and I think they're going to they're they're gonna they're gonna ride him for the next couple seasons Um, but I don't think they really see him as like a long-term solution there I think they probably see him as someone to have there while they can reload the rest of the team and prime the team to bring in a young quarterback in you know two three four years Um, in which case it would make sense to you know take a cornerback take a defensive player um, work work on recharging the offense or something like that rather than focusing on, all right, let's help Minshew as much as we possibly can. Because, you know, I've, there's also been talks about them trying to trade Leonard Fournette out of there, um, which not that Leonard Fournette is, you know, like a top, top-tier running back talent, but, you know, he, he is a good three-down back. He's, he's a guy who's been there for a couple of years. Um, and so it does seem to me like maybe they want to focus on getting their defense back into, back into the shape that it was in 2017, or close to that shape, and then um, – starting over with the offense here in a couple of years. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the one other thing I'd mentioned, like I don't want to concentrate just on my team's needs, but that's just what's been kind of standing out to me is like the whole offensive line position in this draft has seemed really like all the uh, prognostication of that seemed really interesting. I don't know if you guys have followed. There is like, like usually like about like four, uh, offensive linemen projected in the top 15 like usually the by the time the Jets pick they would pick like a third but like sometimes I see like six often like six tackles just tackles going in the first round and like a what like 
a lot of people are saying this is a really great class, but there's been like a very uh, where people think these uh, players are going to go. I've seen like Makai Becton, for example, who is a very interesting player I'd love to talk about, go for anywhere from like four to like 20 or 18. It's I, I just was wondering if there are any thoughts about that. Well, I mean, the tackle positions are so valuable um, that if a team sees any potential in a spark in a guy, they're going to pull the trigger on it. Because if you get a good tackle, if you get yourself a Joe Staley, if you get yourself a Joe Thomas, um, if you get yourself, you know, um, uh, uh, what's the guy in Tennessee, like a Jack Conklin, even a guy like a Jack Conklin, if you see that kind of a potential in someone, you're going to pull the trigger on them and you're going to draft them. Um, and so, you know, if these guys are at the level where teams think they're going to be good, you, you, you can, you can never not take a tackle, you know? Yeah. I I can definitely see, you know, four, maybe five of them going in the first round because that's a position that everybody always needs. There's like maybe five or six teams in the league who are like, yeah, no, we don't really need a tackle right now. Yeah. I, I have so many like mixed and conflicting weird emotions about Makai Becton. Like he's just like, he's like the classic uh, potential and not like polished technique guy, but like his potential is just ridiculous. He's like, like huge, like 365 pounds, I think six, seven and also, but also fast, which is, I think, He's a guy who's really gotten uh, the benefit of a great combine. And like, on one hand, I just feel like it's the like angel and devil on my two shoulders where it's like so many times I've had the, Oh, this guy has a great potential. He's not, he can't really play his position yet, but like, Oh, uh, he, he look at, look at his physical tools backfire so many times. And uh, with the jets and like having Adam Gase as the person to like, uh what do you call it to train him up it doesn't give me a lot of faith but on the other hand it's just it it is that kind of like uh al davis kind of like you can't say no to those tools thing and i just i think it would help a lot if because i really like cd lamb or and if someone like him or judy were on the board i feel like i'd feel better passing on becton but I, I don't envy Joe Douglas or anyone really in that position around that range, making that decision. All right. I feel like maybe we've talked ourselves to death on this thing. You know, <laughs> we, uh, I, 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 I'm feeling good going into the draft, you know, just, just about watching that first round. Um, I think it could end up being a longer draft than usual. You know, normally teams have 10 minutes to make their picks. I think the NFL might have to give them more time just with, uh, you know, the distancing that's going on and the difficulty of communicating with each other. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing where these guys go. Looking forward to see who, uh, who invests in a huge mistake and who's, who's going to turn around their team. Always. Those three days. Um, so if we're done with the draft, do we have any thoughts on that uh, documentary coming out tonight? I know, I know Alex, you're a, you're not exactly the biggest basketball guy on our uh, lineup. I'm I'm not a big basketball guy, but I know greatness when I know greatness, and Michael Jordan was great. Um, I have every intention of watching the watching the documentary series. Um, I I think it'll be good. 
I think it'll be nice to, for me personally, you know, develop a greater appreciation for Jordan and what he did and uh, for the sport as it existed in the, in the late 90s. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's a good topic. I, I think it'll be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Even if I'm not a big basketball guy, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I'm a bit more of a basketball guy, but it's very interesting to see an era that kind of I didn't know much about. Like, I know m- my brother is, you know, a 90s kid. So, of course, like all 90s kids, he has to let you know he's a 90s kid uh, a million percent of the time. Um, so he's kind of talking about like, oh, I wonder what it'll be like for you as like a Gen Z or Z millennial or whatever the hell we're called uh, to look back at the, this era. And I, I do feel like I kind of, I, I'm a very like passionate about my era of basketball. I'm always a LeBron over Jordan guy. But maybe I, I, this will give me a chance to kind of see the other side of it, see what made Jordan uh, so great to people and uh, to see kind of a deeper look at what this whole era of like the bulls and basketball uh, was defined by. TJ, how are you feeling about it? Hey, I mean, I fell in love with Michael Jordan while watching Jam way back. So um, I, I, I will always, I, I, I'm something more in the Jordan camp of the LeBron versus Jordan thing. It also helped that I don't like LeBron very much at the Celtics fan. Um, I'm not really sure why this documentary has been as hyped up as it has been. Like, I'm sure it's a great documentary. It's just kind of like, I didn't really know that if this is like, if this is like the documentary about sort of the Bulls, and I know it's supposed to be focusing on their final season. Um, uh, maybe it's my, I think it's kind of my understanding. There's like some player interviews and there's some sort of like sense that they've gotten the whole team together kind of for the first time in a very long time for this, for this documentary. Yeah. Um, so it, it, uh, it should be interesting to see kind of how, how it works. I, I, you know, I, I think I probably will end up watching some of it. I, I was not planning on watching a ton of it, you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say that I think the two biggest things are probably that like we're in a pandemic and there's like not a lot of new sports stuff happening otherwise. But the other thing I think is that there's this whole, I, I think there's this idea that a lot of it's going to be like unfiltered footage of like behind the scenes stuff. Like uh, Jordan came out and literally said, everyone who watches this are going to think I'm a horrible person uh, because of like the way it shows him treating his teammates, I guess, which I think is a lot very interesting to look at. Um, like there's like ESPN is like warning like that one, they're having one specific channel that's like the, like quote unquote clean version, I guess, but like it's gonna be like unfiltered language or whatever. So uh it seems a little I guess the part of the idea it seems a little like uh more like rough around the edges versus like a 30 for 30, I guess. I know I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to to developing a, a greater appreciation for the sport and for Jordan. And you know, I mean maybe maybe he comes off looking like an asshole, but you win enough rings you can kind of behave however you want to. So Yep. Uh, <laughs> Tom Brady. <laughs> so I think that might be it for us. Um, All right. Well, thanks everyone for coming out and thanks everyone for listening. We're uh, still Brown Sports Convos. We're still a club uh, for now. With this crisis going on, we're still putting out content. We're, the address is still brownsportsconvos.herokuapp.com, right? 
for now? Yes, it is. All right. So, yeah. We're uh, also on Twitter and, you know, Facebook and all that good stuff. So, yeah. give the check us out on there. What's up? Anyway. Michael's constantly dropping content on the Instagram. So, that's always good to see. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been great to be with you guys. Now, signing off. All right. So, see you later.